0: Peace be still, and the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear, and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? The word of the Lord. Shall we pray, Gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you, Almighty God, maker of heaven and earth. Father, we recognize our smallness, our finiteness, when we stand beside the Grand Canyon, beside the ocean, when we look up into the sky and realize the vastness of the galaxy and the universe. And we are just a tiny speck on a tiny planet in a tiny outpost of creation. And Father, you are sovereign over every corner of creation. Yet you know our names. You know the hairs on our head. You know the days of our life. You know the words before we even speak them. And as the Apostle John told us, you love us. You care for us. And you sent Christ to rescue us from ourselves and our sin, our wanderings, our ignorance, and our rebellion. Father, we confess though though we see the greatness of Christ and though we see the bitterness of sin, we still run to, for functional saviors. Things that cannot satisfy us we constantly run when the source of true infinite joy and satisfaction is to be found in christ but father we thank you that you are a faithful god a loving god a merciful god though you do not turn a blind eye to sin you're not unjust But, Father, you poured out your wrath on Christ so that we could be set free. You satisfied the perfect righteous judgment of God to set sinners free. And you give us the righteousness of Christ. Father, I pray that we, as we open up your text and read and listen, that we will see Christ in a new way. That he is not just the means to get what we really want but he is our heart's desire. And because we have Christ, we can endure the storms of this life that causes fear uh, in our hearts and overwhelms us and makes us fear our we- uh, feel our weakness. And at that time, in our weakness, we feel the strength of Christ. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see, and hearts to love Christ for who he is today, our champion, our savior, our faithful older brother, the one who has come to redeem us from our sins. In Christ's precious and holy name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. We're finishing about a quarter of the way through the book of Mark. Mark has about 16 chapters. We're finishing chapter 4. And one thing I like about the book of Mark is that it is a beautiful mosaic that Mark is using, and he uses different tiles to arrange that, different colors and textures, and he lines all these little tiny pieces and these broken pieces together. And at first, we don't know what the artist is doing, what the master is weaving, But then, as we step back, we see when he is done the beauty of the vision of the Master as he is putting together this tapestry, this mosaic of Jesus. And each little section, each story that we see up to this point, we have seen the greatness of Jesus and his power over Satan and his demons in the wilderness. And then the conf- con- uh, as the, the, the demons confront him on his travels. We see Jesus' power over the lives of his disciples when he calls them from the tax booth and when he calls them from, the, um, from the, 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 their nets. Well, he has power over disease and power over infirmities and even power to call people from the emptiness of their religious traditions that hold them captive and don't allow them to see God and the heart of the Father the way they need to. The more and more I read through the book of Mark and study it, and I pray the more and more you listen each week, and you, as you read as as well, be able to impress with the power and the faithfulness of Jesus. Time and time again, Jesus is tempted, and he's challenged, and he's tried, and yet all, like all the people who have come before him, The best of the Old Testament saints who have been good and bold in one situation and the next situation they have failed miserably. Jesus has remained faithful and Jesus has remained true. He is great. Up to this point, we've, I've showed you prayerfully, and you remember, the, that Jesus is a greater Israel. Jesus has passed through the waters of the Jordan in baptism, and he entered the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by Satan. And it shows us that Jesus is a greater Israel. Israel passed through the waters of the Jordan into the, uh, into the uh, waters of the Red Sea. They didn't get to the Jordan yet waters of the red sea into the wilderness for 40 years and every single one failed and fell in the in the desert but jesus has been faithful he is the greater israel jesus has loved the lord with all his heart with all his soul with all his mind and with all his strength the word of the lord the word of god has been his food and his guide and his weapon by which he defeats the enemies uh, and the temptations of satan Today I want to see a new picture, a new greatness of Jesus as we see in the midst of the storm. Mark wants you to see this picture of Jesus and say, Jesus is greater. Dan this morning read for us Jonah chapter 1. And you thought, well, okay, I can see the connection. Jonah was in the storm, and Jesus was in the storm, and uh, the sailors were worried, and the disciples were worried, and and, and you can see this. I want you to know this morning that Jesus is the greater Jonah. Jesus is the greater Jonah who has come to deliver us from the storm. And therefore, because Jesus is the greater Jonah, Jesus is the Lord of the storm, and he is able to deliver us safely through the storms of our life. Jesus is the Lord of the storm, and he's able to deliver us through the storms of life. And as we look at that, we see two ways, and there's many ways that we can see this, but two ways that I glean this one. Because he is the Lord of the storm, who is able to lead us through the storms that we face, we can trust the wisdom of our God. And we can trust the power of our God. We trust the wisdom of Christ and the power of Christ. Let's look in the beginning, starting off at at, that Jesus calls us to trust the wisdom of Christ. Uh, As we go through, as we are closing out Mark Mark chapter 4, we've seen up to this point where it has been a long, hard, arduous day. Jesus has ministered to the sick. He has healed diseases and sickness. He has preached... He has uh, preached to uh, uh, people that have had hard, cold hearts that were waiting for just one misstep that they could pounce on him and say, he's a fraud. And he also was preaching to hearts that were longing for something in this life that they could hold on to, some hope and some truth and some peace that they would go through. Jesus is at this point physically exhausted some of you do jobs that you are physically exhausted at the end of the day and this is how Jesus was and so Jesus proposes to the disciples let's go to the other side of the lake it doesn't say where they were going he gets into a, a, a boat with the disciples probably a boat very similar to this this is a boat that was discovered in the 80s during a drought when the water levels were very low in the Sea of Galilee. They unearthed it, brought it up, and um, discovered that this boat was a typical boat from the first century. It's about 25 and a half feet long, seven and a half feet wide, four and a half feet deep. It would have had four o- uh, oars that were uh, rowed. It would have had, um, and those of you in the Navy and the uh, the um, Coast Guard, please uh, forgive my ignorance, but they would have had little cubby areas underneath, whatever the technical term is. Uh, Don't send me an email, don't text me, I know I'm wrong. Uh, But they would have had an area below and they would have had a large sandbag ballast to be able to keep uh, the bottom of the boat steady uh, and as they go, and so what Jesus is doing, he gets in the boat, there's other boats that are following him, and they're headed to the other side of the, uh, of the lake, presumably to get away from the crowd so they could have some rest and to be able to continue their, their ministry. Yet their journey was uh, disrupted by a furious squall that is common to the Sea of Galilee. It's actually the, um, the Arabic word um, sharky, uh, which is, and it's pro- again, it's probably not the pro- proper pronunciation, but you can hear the word shark. They called these squalls sharks because they were so violent. And if you look at the Sea of Galilee, on the western side there are two valleys that um, cause uh, the winds to swirl across the lake. The lake itself is the lowest freshwater lake in the world, some 682 feet below sea level. And so what happens is, is the phenomenon of the uh, of the cool air coming off the mountains in the Golan Heights, Golan Heights come down to the warm waters of the lake, and they collide, and they cause amazing storms. And their sudden burst and uh, ferocious storms uh, they're called again they're called sharks and it produced, in 1992, waves as large as 10 feet tall have been recorded in this little tiny body of water named we call the Sea Sea of Galilee, but is really the Lake of Galilee. Today was one of those days when these storms suddenly hit without warning, and experienced fishermen who had spent their whole lives on the water, and was since they were little boys with their dads, they were, they were frightened. Notice verse 37. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. These swells that up to 10 feet tall, I can't imagine how big they were, but they were big enough to cause these experienced fishermen to be worried. And it says the waves uh, were breaking into the boat. And if you're in a small vessel like this, probably a bit overloaded, it could handled 10 to 15 people, it was probably on the 15 people side. Uh, These seasoned fishermen feared for their lives. But you see a complete opposite reaction the carpenter's son who had left lived his years in Nazareth was sleeping soundly in the bottom of the stern and notice verse 38 Jesus was in the stern asleep on the cushion This is honestly the only time in Scripture that we are told that Jesus slept. We know he did, but it's the only time, and that's significance. When you see something like that in Scripture, oh, I've never seen that before, and it's a little red light that flashes. Hey, this is important. And so in the middle of this furious storm that struck fear into the heart of seasoned, lifelong fishermen, Jesus is sleeping soundly, completely trusting God in the midst of, Of adversity and therefore he slept in perfect peace Jesus is the personification of what the book of Psalms talks about I lay down and slept I woke again why for the Lord sustained me I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me I can rest because I know that when I close my eyes and sleep the Lord watches and the Lord protects me. A chapter later in Psalm 4, it says, in peace I will both lie down and sleep for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Jesus perfectly trusts the heart of the Father. He perfectly trusts what the father is doing at the end of a long day when his body ached and his mind was exhausted jesus models what it looks like to faithfully trust the sustaining power of god he slept in perfect peace trusting the lord all the while the sailors um, scrambled and they feared and they yelled and they rowed, and they um Cast the water out, just like the Jonah, uh, the sailors in the book of Jonah, and they were encrypt in with intense fear. And I can imagine in this, when the only focus was on the the storm, and we need to get out of the storm to the other side, we need to get to dry ground. They then noticed—I don't know who noticed first—but they noticed where's Jesus. And they looked below in the shadow of the lower deck and the stern, and they noticed he was sleeping. I don't know if one of them cursed. One was angry. And they looked at the silent slumber of Jesus and they interpreted that He was indifferent to their plight. And with vitriol, with bitterness, with anger, in verse, the end of verse 38, it says, They woke Him and said to them, Teacher, don't you care that we are perishing? I want you to hear that don't allow the flannel graphs in sunday school to deaden the harshness and the rudeness of these sailors in their fear don't you care are you just going to sit there and do nothing we're all working trying to save our life what are you doing what's wrong with you jesus They were desperate and they were afraid and they only could see the wind as they blew and they were trying to uh, steady their feet as the boat rocked and the waves blew against that ship. And they saw the silence and the sleep of Jesus and they believed immediately that he didn't care. Have you ever been there? Are you there now? As you watch your bank account dwindle, as you answer the phone at 3 a.m. in the morning, when the test results reveal the worst-case scenario, as you realize that you are dropping more balls on the ground than you're actually juggling, as you grope in the darkness and there is no light at the end of the tunnel, when the fear howls in your ears and the waves of doubt crash in the boat and it leaves your heart stunned and confused and desperate, The silence of heaven convinces you in the moment of the storm that God doesn't care. Have you been there? I know I have. But Ocean Park, God never promises that you will sail through the waters of life with fair winds and following seas. He does not promise you health and wealth and prosperity in this life he does not promise of deliverance from every trouble and freedom from every fear we naturally think what we need is comfort and ease as we go i remember as a kid um, at camp of the woods in new york uh, me and kyle connell uh, came up with enough money and went down to the canoe shack and rented a canoe we were like 11 or 12 my parents didn't know and his parents didn't know and somebody gave us a canoe and you could see in the distance the thunderheads were beginning to build and the wind was blowing and it was coming from probably the southeast and man it was going great as we went that direction we're like man we have got this down and then we tried to turn around and the waves literally were coming in the ship and Kyle was not an athletic kid. He was not somebody that naturally picked up the whole canoe thing. He was in the front, the waves are coming out, and I'm like yelling at him, Kyle, come on, paddle. I'm paddling as hard as I can, and all we're doing is going in circles, and my parents are like, who are those people in that canoe? And then my father, like, that's Chris and Kyle. Why are they out there? And literally, the, the, the canoe is filling up. Kyle jumps out. I jump out and we're pushing the canoe. I don't know what we thought we would do, but we were scared. Fortunately, a just kind and gentle man with a ski nautique on the other side noticed these two bonehead 12-year-olds. It was a canoe half underwater that they had paid the 20-buck deposit for, and my parents were on the hook for the canoe. And he came and he pulled us out and brought us safely to shore. But often in those times when we can, that's all we see. We don't remember the promises of God. We don't know the character of God. We don't know the direction that God is leading us. All we can see and all we can hear are the wind and the waves and we doubt. Where are you, God? And why don't you care? But in the promises of Scripture, God has promised to give us what we need, when we need it, and the amount that we need. He is working in us, and through us, and he's accomplishing his purposes. His purposes is that he would bring glory to himself and that he would work for our good and for what is best. He has in his working. Spurgeon put it this way, and I don't want to try to, to um, summarize it. God has his purposes, and his way and his purposes are both for his glory and for the good of his people. Who among us wish the Lord to turn aside from his holy and gracious designs? Who has ordained the best? Would we want him to vary from those things? He has determined all things wisely. Would we have him determine otherwise? Which that which happens to us occurs because in the judgment of an infinite wisdom and goodness, it is in the whole best that it should be so. Would we wish the Lord be arranging otherwise? God has promised that every storm and every valley and every tear is being used to draw us closer to the loving, heart of the Father and glorif- and manifest his glory in us and through us. And brothers and sisters, that is what we need. Elizabeth Elliot, in a book called Suffering is Never for Nothing, I just finished it, you need to read it. She um, went to the uh, villages, or the, the dense I want to say tundra, but that's not right. The jungles of Ecuador. Her and her husband and four other couples, and they went to reach a particular group of people, but these people uh, interpreted their actions of bringing the gospel to them as actually cannibals coming to eat them, and the men of the village came out and killed all five of the men. She continued and labored, and, and eventually she brought, her and her sisters brought the gospel into the village, and the village came to Christ. She moved back to the United States and met a professor in one of the universities, and they married, and two and a half years later, she buried him of cancer. Uh, She also, thankfully, she married a third man, and, and for many years they enjoyed marriage, but eventually she buried him too, and about three years ago, maybe two years ago, she passed away. And in her book, she says this, the deepest things that I have learned in my own life have come from the deepest suffering." And out of the deepest waters and the hottest fires have come the deepest things that I know about God. Ocean Park, can you say that in the midst of your storms? The wind and the waves strike fear in my heart, but I trust the Lord. I don't know why this is happening to me. I don't like it, but I trust the Lord. I don't know where he is leading me, and I don't like this journey, but I trust the Lord. Ocean Park, when the storm ranges around you, and when you're tired, and when you're weary, and when you're confused, you can have confidence of this. The Lord of the storm is able to deliver you safely through the storms of life, and therefore, you can trust the wisdom of Christ who is leading you. We can trust the wisdom of Christ, and we can also trust the power of Christ. Last month, uh, when Hurricane Dorian was churning in the Caribbean, Denise and I decided to go down to the beach. I think Spencer and Melissa were there at the same time on the other side of the pier, along with, like, thousands of other people. Uh, the, it was incredible to watch. And the, uh, the police and the, uh, the lifeguards were saying, don't go in the water. It is treacherous. It is dangerous. I'm a strong swimmer, but I wouldn't go near it because those waters were deadly. The waves were roaring and the wind was howling, and I knew that was a dangerous place to be. But often there are times in our life when we feel like we're in those waters. Disease and injury has struck us or the ones that we love, financial lack and hardship, abuse and broken relationships that can't be healed and it's difficult. There's guilt and there's shame and there's regret. Abuse and neglect, oppression and opposition face us, and all we can hear is the howling of the wind and the crashing of the waves, and we wonder, does God really care? And we are overwhelmed, and we fully expect at any moment that we will capsize and be overwhelmed. These moments are reminders to us and blessings to us because it reminds us how powerless and how weak we actually are. And that's a good thing. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak. But he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. The harsh reminders that we are, par, are powerless is exactly where the disciples found themselves. Their whole life they've been on the boat, they've experienced these squalls, these storms, and now they were desperate and they were powerless, but it was here that they learned and they saw and they experienced the power of Christ in their midst. Notice verse 39. And Jesus awoke at the cries, Don't you care about us? And he rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was great calm. Rather than rebuking the disciples for their harsh, dishonorable accusations against the Lord of creation, Jesus rebuked the winds and the waves with one word, peace. Silence. Hold your tongue. And instantly, immediately, the howling winds and the roaring waves held their peace, muzzled by the Lord of creation that was breaking the faith of the disciples apart. It was the powerful authority of the Word of Christ that rendered the waves as smooth and as still as glass. Jeez, Ocean Park, Jesus allows us, allows no force in creation. And we'll see this natural forces, and as we see next week, supernatural forces to thwart his purposes. The powerful authority of God is never overpowered, overstepped, or outsmarted. The power of Christ is not thwarted by the storms that easily overwhelm us. Therefore, we can trust in Him. The truth was there to see. Though it would take some time for the disciples and some more miracles. They saw healings. They saw um, incredible teachings. They said, we have never seen anything like this. And they had never seen anything like this. All things. belonging to the power of christ but not only do we see the power of christ we see the grace of christ in verse 40 and jesus said to them why are you so afraid do you still have no faith the powerful grace of god is again shown to his feeble followers Jesus doesn't threaten them to reject them for their forgetfulness. Jesus doesn't scold them for their overwhelming fear. He doesn't bargain with them. If you just muster a little bit more faith, I can work with that. Right now, it's not looking so good. The storm that they faced was deadly and merciless. Their fear was not irrational nor unfounded. They were literally fighting for their lives. The things that cause you to fear most of the time are not irrational and they're not uh, made up in your minds. They're real things, they're real reasons to fear. But Jesus doesn't say the sin is the fear, the sin is forgetting the God who sits in the boat, the God who knows our weakness. And He is gentle with a broken reed and with a smoldering wick. The God who in Psalm 103 says, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear Him. And this is the the confident reminder that we have. He knows our frame. He knows what we're made of. Our weaknesses, our limitations, our perspective. Why? Because He came. Fully human and experienced, though fully God, He remembers that we are dust, that we are frail, that we are weak, that we doubt, that we forget so easily. He remembers. And like a compassionate child, a parent waking a child from a nightmare, he causes, he calms their fear with his powerful and his gentle presence. Ocean bark when you are afraid, when you see the storms and the wind and the waves, know this, the preserving hand of God is gentle and says, I am here. I am with you in this boat of life, though it feels like it's breaking apart. You have everything you need. I have everything under control. Isaiah 43 says this, the promise of God to his people who trust him, fear not, I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. See, he doesn't say, I'm pulling you out. He says, when you pass through the storms that make you feel like life is breaking apart, he is with you. His rod and his staff, they comfort you when you walk through the fires you shall not be burnt the flame shall not consume you why I have redeemed you you belong to me you can trust me I love you and I am working for your good and that is best do you believe that Ocean Park do you believe it Do you believe that His powerful presence is all you need? You are safe in His hands. Let the winds howl and the the waters crash. They can do nothing more than what the Lord allows, and they will cease when the mighty voice of our Maker says, Silence! When His purpose is accomplished. Even though we often don't know what that purpose is, and we can't imagine what God is doing. Aren't, don't you care? Can't you see what I'm going through? The fury of your oppressors and the storm and the, um, the, the, the fear that you have is no match for God, though it quickly overwhelms you. He is your ever your refuge and strength and ever present help in trouble. He is your comforter who can still the fury of your oppressors, though they roar like the waves of the sea. There is nothing in all of creation, natural or supernatural, that is able to thwart the purposes of God in Christ for you. Therefore, in the midst of the storm, we can trust and we can obey Jesus, our Lord. I probably should have put the big idea up here, because a little transition piece, but bear with me. The Lord of the storm is able to bring us through the storms of life. But that's not it. want you see in verse 41. Verse 41, and they were what? Filled with great fear. Wait a minute. They were filled with great fear because of the storm. Jesus calms the storm. The sea is like glass. They are safe. They were filled with great fear that a plus no a plus b does not equal c or one plus two i'm a theologian not a math person that's why denise teaches the children they were filled with great fear and said to one another who is this that even the winds and the sea obey him the terror of the disciples after the storm was greater than during the storm you would think they would rejoice that the raging sea has been calmed, but they were sitting in the boat, they were, they were filled with a greater fear, the fear of the supernatural, the fear of the holy, because only God can, feel, can calm the storms and the chaos of the sea. Whenever we see in Scripture that chaos, the waters and the chaos in the waters is seen as, as great chaos in our lives, In Revelation 21, it says, when the new heavens and the new earth come and the sea is no more, that doesn't mean we won't have an ocean. That means that the chaos that causes fear in our heart is calmed. And when that happens, and we're standing or sitting in a boat with the presence of the Almighty God that can cause the chaos to become an order and peace, it struck fear in their hearts. This storm brought them face to face with the Lord God of creation and they realized that the natural disaster was they were delivered from. They were no longer frightened by it, but they were frightened of the holiness of God knowing they were not holy people. The Lord of creation was sitting in their boat and it struck them with de- dread because they were unworthy to stand before the perfect holiness of an almighty God. The question is this, who is it that sits in the boat? Who do you trust? These storms are the Lord puts in our lives to shake us to our cores and to make us question what is our view of God and what are our expectations. And often our expectations and our view of God collide. God would never fill in the blank. And our expectat- when our experience collides with our picture of God, often our faith will fail us because we have an idolatrous picture of who God is and what He does. But God is promising us that He is working and every affliction and every heartache and every hardship and every challenge you face is the grace of God freeing you from the tyranny of yourself. The ridiculous belief that you are the master of your fate and the captain of your soul needs to be dashed across the rocks, and that is painful, but is what we need. We need to feel our weakness because it is not until we feel our weakness we can be filled with the power of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And the storms of life bring us face to face with our weakness, and our ability, and our vulnerability. And it brings us face to face with the only one who can save us, and that's Jesus Christ, the Lord of creation. At the moment of the storm, you're forced to answer the question: who is this? Israel, as they passed through the Red Sea, saw the great power of the Lord that used against the Egyptians and one side of the red sea we they feared for our life they looked at moses and said what have you done to us to come and slaughter us in the wilderness and then the other side of the ocean when they realized holy cow what have we done what has god done they believed in the lord and in his servant moses you can see the power of god in the storms and you can feel and you can fear his holiness and still not believe in him you can still feel your weakness and fear his power and you can run away from him because you don't want to bow to his before him ocean bark i ask you what will you do will you fear the lord and trust him and obey him because all that he does is right and wise and powerful and true or you run and flee and hide like Jonah. The Lord of the storm is able to deliver us safely from the storms of life. Therefore, we can trust the wisdom of God and trust the power of God. Tim Keller, I have to give him full credit of this because it's really, really good, I think. Uh, So clearly it didn't come from me. Uh, Jesus is the greater Israel that went through the waters and into the wilderness, and Jesus is the greater Jonah. Similarities are incredible between the comparisons to two. Like Jonah, Jesus' ship was overtaken in the storm, and the descriptions between the two are incredible. Like Jonah, Jesus was asleep in the stern of the ship. Like Jonah, Jesus was awoken by his shipmates who desperately feared for their life. Like Jonah, Jesus' storm was calmed by divine intervention, and the sailors were gripped with great fear. There is one stark difference. Jonah 1, verse 12. And Jonah said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, and the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has become. It was the sin of Jonah that brought that storm, and Jonah was thrown into the water. And there the similarities end, or do they? When you look back, and we... Oops. We're going to go back that. and let the cat out of the bag. Um... uh, when you go back and look at the mosaic, sometimes we focus on one little tile and we see, oh, that's the Jesus calming the storms in our life. And we see the other tiles, but we don't see the big picture. The rest of the stories you begin to read, this, this amazing picture of this greater Jonah comes. And it's the very thing that Jesus told us, told in the other gospel in Matthew, that I, uh, someone greater has Jonah has come. And he is the greater Jonah. Jesus is referring to himself, the greater Jonah that who has come. He will calm all the storms and still all the waves. He will destroy destruction and break brokenness and kill death, not just the squalls on the Sea of Galilee and the weakness of our life. How? Jesus threw himself into the midst of the storm. He was innocent. He was righteous he was holy but he threw himself into the heart of the ultimate storm the ultimate storm of sin and death that we his people may have peace it was at the cross when the storm of eternal justice which we owe to eternal death was swept away when jesus plunged himself into those waters at calvary He took the ultimate storm of sin and death upon himself, and it was calmed forever. Ocean Park, only those who find shelter in the cross will be safe from the ultimate storm. No one who is outside of the shelter of that storm is safe. No one in the shelter of the cross will ever say, God, don't you care? He says, I care, and I have sent my son to into the heart of the storm of sin and death that he had not earned and deserved, and he took upon himself, and he calmed the storm and brought peace that we may find shelter at the cross in fellowship with our God. Jesus loved you so much. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he did what? He gave his only son. That whosoever believes in him finds shelter in the cross, believes the promises of God that says, when Jesus died, he took and de- uh, brought peace to that storm of sin and death that, I, that would overwhelm me and break me apart and I follow him, and I trust him, and I repent of my waywardness, of my cosmic treason, of my affections for the enemy, and I turn from my sin, my rebellion of heart, and my sins, the expression of that, and I turn to Jesus by faith. What makes us think that if christ dove into the heart of the ultimate storm of sin and death he will not preserve us from day to day from the squalls that strike fear to our heart. he loves us some of you don't know jesus and you have to answer the question who is this the answer is jesus is the almighty god who has come to save you from the the death the ultimate storm of sin and death that you deserve, separation from God because you have ignored Him and not lived according to His standards and you have like sheep gone astray. He loves you and gave His only Son to save you from the storm that will destroy you. Only the cross can save you. Find shelter in the cross. Repent of your uh, sin and turn to Christ. There are others that nominal Christians who just wander through life and pay lip service to Jesus is a dangerous place to be. You are either in the shadow of the cross or you facing the consequences of the storm. And if you truly believe that Jesus took the ultimate storm in your place that you deserve, There is nothing, nothing that he cannot call you to. If you realize the weight of sin that was was on your shoulders and the weightlessness of grace, the bitterness of the cup that he drank to give you the sweetness of the cup, it will change how you live. Do you really trust the gospel? Repent of your self-righteousness and turn to Christ in humility those of you this morning who trust jesus but it's so easy to see the storms of life and you say what jesus what are you doing i don't understand aren't you going to help repent of that knowing that our father is tender and merciful and he loves us and he's calling us to trust him his wisdom and his power Because ultimately this, the the Lord of the storm is able to deliver us safely through the storm of sin and death. Therefore, we can trust his wisdom and his power.